Pretty disturbing news to start the week with. We can now confirm that the former president had a meeting with anti-Semites, people who have made extremely offensive comments about the Holocaust and about the Jewish people as a whole. Now, that meeting did not happen over the weekend. It actually happened back in 2005 when then-senator, soon-to-be presidential candidate Barack Obama and the Congressional Black Caucus met for smiles and giggles and photographs with Louis Farrakhan, who calls the Jews termites. And the media covered it up and told everybody that it wasn't a big deal. Uh, the former president's meeting with the prominent anti-Semites was not confined to one night. It actually took place over the course of two decades, when Barack Obama was a registered member of the church of his good friend Jeremiah Wright, until in Wright's words, quote, them Jews stopped letting him talk to me. And then, too, the media pretty much brushed the whole thing under the rug, and Obama never had to apologize, and everybody just moved on. Oh, also, Donald Trump had dinner with his troubled friend of many years, Kanye West, over the weekend, which, according to the media, is an unforgivable sin and makes Trump the second coming of Hitler, which the same media, of course, have already been claiming ceaselessly about Donald Trump for the past seven years. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment on, what was it, Wednesday? Oh my gosh, it's been so long. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. My favorite comment on Wednesday was from Jim Lubke, who says, we need to fight this fight now or we won't be able to put up much of a fight in the 2024 race. Yup. The folks who say Charlie Brown needs to stop calling out Lucy's shenanigans and just get better at football are missing a critical point. Of course, whatever you want to say about the 2022 midterm elections, I think we have to admit that Arizona was extremely sus. It was very, very suspect, and the, a lot of the voting machines did not work, and there were all these dodgy practices of putting the provisional ballots into this box at box number three, I think it was called, and the box was not checked to see how many ballots there were before uh, they went in. And then there are poll workers now who are testifying saying that there were hundreds more votes than registered voters who came in and were checked in that day. And the whole thing just stinks to high heaven. And then it took a week to count the ballots. And then what do you know? The Democrats just barely eke it out. So yes, the, the, the Republicans need to win Arizona in 2024 in order to win the presidency. And so if we don't fix the voting problems there, then you could run the greatest campaign in the world. But it, it doesn't really matter so much who votes and how many people votes, it matters much more who, count the, who counts the votes and, in the words of FDR to LBJ, who sits on the ballot box. You know, another important reminder, this is the last day of our best sale of the year. It is 50% off annual memberships. It ends at midnight. With that, I have a thought to share. Last week, the National Retail Federation forecast record sales for this holiday season, projecting that over the next few weeks, we will hand over to retailers nearly $1 trillion of our money. And what are they going to do with the money that you and I choose to give them? This year, Walmart kicked out the MyPillow guy, Mike Lindell, and used our money to force train their workers in critical race theory, denouncing the United States as a white supremacy system. This year, Amazon used our money in their studios division to produce both a castrated Lord of the Rings series, which rejects masculinity, and an anti-feminine A League of Their Own reboot that is, quote, euphorically, unapologetically gay. Even this weekend, Disney used consumers' money to release an animated film called Strange World, in which a woke father encourages his 16-year-old son to flirt with another boy. These companies ridicule ideals, shame freedom, and warp a child's conscience. To everyone listening or watching right now, boycotts are not enough. Because boycotts are short-term. They come and go in a week, and then these soulless companies get right back to the business of making your morals and your way of life extinct. There is only one thing in a global economy that can reverse the left-hand path of multinational corporations such as Walmart. Amazon and Disney. Only one thing can tame them, and that is competition. We are that competition. Subscribers supporting The Daily Wire are that competition. And because of our subscribers, we will grow into a long-term competitor to check Disney and their kind by creating cultural breakthroughs, by releasing explosive documentaries, by uncanceling important voices, 
by developing awe-inspiring films that celebrate industry and heroism and truth, justice, and the American way, by producing instant children's classics. Only then, only after Disney and their whole woke pals have seen The Daily Wire and others out-competing their content, will they reverse course or they'll die. Let me be as transparent as I possibly can be this Cyber Monday. My podcast and those of the other Daily Wire hosts streaming for free on the internet do not generate enough ad revenue for us to compete with Disney's $30 billion entertainment budget. That's what our subscribers do. Our subscribers are concerned citizens who choose to make long-term investments in Daily Wire Plus, funding both cultural wins, such as the halting of transgender surgeries on children at Vanderbilt, and content wins, as in Daily Wire's upcoming blockbuster films and documentaries. We at The Daily Wire are investing everything in this. To put government, big tech, and Hollywood back on their best behavior, you can join us for less than $100 right now. Invest long-term in The Daily Wire today with 50% off new memberships and gift memberships for your loved ones until 11.59 and 59 seconds tonight. It's easier than ever to get great content and finance our mission to help you and your loved ones live more freely. Wow. Did I sell you on that? Are you going to buy a subscription? You absolutely should. The latest tempest in a teapot, Donald Trump is a Nazi. Why is Donald Trump a Nazi? Well, because he had dinner with Kanye West, who's a Nazi. And Kanye West brought his friends who are Nazis, and therefore Donald Trump's a Nazi. That's, that's the headline, okay? That's what people are telling you. What happened? Well, here's, here's how Trump describes it on Truth Social. He says, this past week, Kanye West called me to have dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Shortly thereafter, he unexpectedly showed up with three of his friends, whom I knew nothing about. We had dinner on Tuesday evening with many members present on the back patio. The dinner was quick and uneventful. They then left for the airport. Okay, sounds about right. But there were these problems because apparently Trump brought these guys who have said all sorts of terrible, offensive things. And so therefore, Trump is a Nazi, right? That's what they said. So then Trump goes, goes on. He says, so I help a seriously troubled man who just happens to be black, yay, Kanye West, who has been decimated in his business and virtually everything else, and who has always been good to me by allowing his request for a meeting at Mar-a-Lago alone so that I can give him some very much needed advice. He shows up with three people, two of whom I didn't know, the other a political person who I hadn't seen in years. I told him, don't run for office, a total waste of time, can't win, fake news went crazy. Okay, but the libs aren't buying it. They're saying, no, Trump, he's a Nazi. Same thing they've been saying for seven years. What do you think is more likely? Two, two reads on this dinner. The first read is what Donald Trump said. His friend of many years who's been very good to him, who clearly has troubles and who has just had his entire net worth basically wiped away, uh, asked for a meeting. And Trump said, okay, come, we'll have dinner and I'll give you some advice. Or Trump is secretly plotting the, the Nazi takeover of the United States because he hates Jews. He hates Jews. That's why his daughter converted to Judaism. That's why his grandkids are Jewish. And that's why there's a town named after him in Israel. And that's why he, he pushed the Abraham Accords. And, and, and. Which of those two is uh, more likely? Obviously, it's the former. It's just a complete tempest in a teapot. It's another, another ridiculous attempt to attack Donald Trump. And frankly, I think it probably helps Trump because Trump's biggest competitor right now on the right is not Kanye West, I don't think. I think it is probably Ron DeSantis. A lot of Trump's supporters and former supporters have gravitated toward Ron DeSantis. And one of the arguments for Trump over Ron DeSantis is that Ron, uh, Trump is the one that they really hate. Trump is the one that the libs really want to get. He's the real threat. They're throwing all of his, their firepower at Trump. And this seems to back that up. They're just still trying to destroy Donald Trump. So uh, I, I don't think you need to, you know, th- throw the man away and say, oh my gosh, he had this dinner. You're going to see 10 more of these episodes before the year is through. And don't forget, we get two years until the presidential election. Speaking of the Nazis, Alyssa Milano is taking a stand. She's taking a stand against fascism and hate and white supremacy. She's giving back her Tesla. Here's what Alyssa Milano said. She said, I gave back my Tesla. I bought the VW electric vehicle. I love it. 
I'm not sure how advertisers can buy space on Twitter. Publicly traded companies' products being pushed in alignment with hate and white supremacy does not seem to be a winning business model. I don't know if Alyssa Milano is a huge history buff, but uh, VW has a little bit more of a sordid history than Tesla does. Uh, VW, of course, was founded by Adolf Hitler himself and the Nazi party. Uh, It means the people's wagon, Volkswagen. Uh, But of course, she doesn't know this. She doesn't know anything. This reminds me that people, very prominent people in public life, have absolutely no historical frame of reference or memory. Okay, everything is just in this perpetual now, this perpetual sort of uh, mania that we're in. And so people forget, forget about ancient history or medieval history. Hitler founded Volkswagen less than 100 years ago. Doesn't matter. There's just this perpetual now. And you're seeing this accelerate. You're seeing this accelerate in Canada, actually. Uh, Justin Trudeau, I, I referenced this a little bit last week. Justin Trudeau is now the first world leader to go on a drag race show. Hi, Queen. Hi. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I know it's a big day, but seeing as we have the best queens from around the world, we thought you deserved a proper welcome. Please help me welcome to the Canada's Drag Race workroom, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Do I have to kiss? Do I have to kiss his ring? <laughs> I heard you had a summit, and I think I'm a little too late for yes. it, unfortunately. Oh We're actually just about to do makeover episode. Oh, that's a big one. Queens, anybody want to take it on? Yeah. <laughs> this is groundbreaking. The first ever world leader to visit a drag race set. Uh, listen, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be the first, but I look forward to the time there's a third or a fourth. To have a world leader in the workroom talking to us, how amazing is that? You better work, Justin Trudeau. Yes. Totally historic. Isn't this so historic? But then when I saw the clip, I thought, wait a second. Didn't Nancy Pelosi already go on one of these shows? Wait a second. Didn't AOC already go on one of these shows? Oh, but I guess neither of them are world leaders in the sense that neither of them are a head of state. So now Justin Trudeau, he's making history. It's all, it's how historical is this? Justin Trudeau is the third lib in the last six months to go on a weird drag queen show. But it's historic because he's the first world leader from Canada on this special version of the show. How many historic firsts do there have to be before uh, people recognize that the alleged historical first groups have a ton of power and dominance in our society? How many? How many do do we see with it? Because the way this is being framed is this is so brave of Justin Trudeau. No, not at all. It would be brave not to go on the drag queen show. The, The people who are in power are relentlessly pushing transgenderism. It's, it would, it would take some courage to stand up against that, but it's very effective. If you want to amass power, one very effective way to do it is to claim victimhood. You heard me allude to this when we were talking about the Daily Wire memberships for Cyber Monday, but you, you just saw this over the weekend with Disney. Disney just had the historic first Hold on, let me see what the historic, it's the historic first gay teen romance animated film. It's called Strange World. It's the historic first though. I I thought, wait, hold on. How many, how many times now have I read the headline, historic first gay blank from Disney? I mean, you had Disney executives on leaked video saying that they were pushing a not so secret gay agenda. There have been gay kisses in this thing and gay relationships in this thing and gay this and gay that. But I guess because this one's an underage gay relationship, that's the big new historic first. And it it totally flopped. The the movie brought in $4.2 million in ticket sales. They're projecting that it could make as little as $21 million over the full uh, holiday weekend. The movie was a $180 million budget. So it's just a complete failure. So why is that? Because the people don't want to see it. Of course not. You can be totally open-minded and live and let live, and you're not homophobic or anything at all. And you don't want to go take your kid to see like cartoon gay teenagers kissing, right? It's just not something that people want. But, but the conservatives don't 
Unfortunately, the conservatives don't recognize the game that is being played here. And they, they want to allow the, the cultural revolution to, to go halfway. They don't want to totally stand against the cultural revolution, but they don't want it to go all the way either. They want it to, to stop halfway. If you stand in the middle of the road, though, you will, in fact, be hit by a truck. The, the reason that the, the Disney teen gay movie failed is because people don't want to see it. But the reason it was made in the first place is that the entire culture has normalized homosexuality. But the problem is, if you normalize homosexuality, then you you have to normalize it for young people too. This is where I actually think that the left makes stronger arguments than the right. If homosexual behavior is totally normal, totally fine, no questions about it whatsoever, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, every many pagans, everyone who is, though not those Greeks, they got a little frisky with each other. But if, if my, the vast majority of people who have ever thought about these questions were all totally wrong, and there's no moral question whatsoever about homosexual behavior, then, then why shouldn't it be normalized for teenagers too? People develop romantic feelings when they're teenagers. People go on little dates and they have little crushes and they flirt with each other when they're teenagers. So why, why would we now be saying, well, no, you're only allowed to have representations of crushes and dates and teen romances for straight couples, not gay couples? Why would we? That wouldn't make any sense. Unless you were to go all the way and say, no, homosexuality is abnormal and maybe we'll be open-minded about it and we're not going to be cruel and we're not going to be mean and we're not going to be vicious and all these different things. But we have to acknowledge it's abnormal. It is not the norm, not what we're aiming at, okay? And therefore, we're not going to present it in our popular culture. We're not going to make every single movie and every single thing gay all the time. And we're certainly not going to present teenage teenagers in these gay relationships in cartoons. But the, I don't think the conservatives are willing to go there. I don't, do you? No, because it feels icky and, you know, that you'll be called phobic or this or that. And it, it also rubs up against, <laughs> pun unintended, it, it rubs up against a, a liberal premise that, that many American conservatives have adopted, which is that politics is ultimately just about the individual. Individual choice, individual preference. Do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt me. Just do whatever you want to do. I have no right to come in and tell you not to do that. The state certainly has no right to come in and tell you not to do that. Uh, you just have a, a sort of radical individual autonomy. Now, that is not traditionally a conservative point of view. That is a liberal point of view, okay? That, that is the consequences of John Locke, okay? The conservatives traditionally tend to go a little more for the Aristotle idea. You know, they tend to go a little bit more for the idea that man is a political being or a social being. We obviously are influenced by one another. There obviously are norms and standards in society, and there always will be. And so we need to just agree on what those are, and hopefully we have better standards and not worse standards, right? I don't, the reason that I think the libs are going to win is not because the libs are omnipotent or the libs are so smart or the libs. What, I think the reason that the libs right now are more likely to win on these cultural issues is because the conservatives don't have any clarity on it, and they don't. They don't. They don't see. They don't see how far back on the slippery slope you got to go to stop this sort of stuff, because it's a pretty far ways back. And so, as a result, this movie is going to bomb. And you know what? You're going to get another gay teen cartoon. And that one's probably going to bomb too. And you're going to get another gay teen cartoon. And it's just going to keep going because the libs are determined to normalize this sort of thing. And the conservatives are not going to resist it. A very, very effective way, as I mentioned, to, to amass power is to claim victimhood. So a lot of this uh, came out of AIDS when, during the AIDS epidemic, you saw Lots of gay guys dying, and this created a lot of public sympathy, rightly so. And uh, as a result of that, you saw a huge leap in the gay, gay rights movement. And then ultimately that leads to redefining marriage, and ultimately that leads to transgenderism. But uh, sometimes, because this is an effective political tactic, sometimes people just fake it. A lot of times people just fake it, actually. So over the last month, there's a gay bar in Hell's Kitchen. It's called Ver's. 
V-E-R-S, VERS. And they've had four separate incidents of an individual throwing bricks through the windows. Awful, terrible, homophobic attack, right? Well, according to uh, borough president in New York, the epidemic of LGBTQ plus violence is national. A well-known gay bar on Manhattan's west side has been attacked repeatedly in recent weeks. We cannot stand for this. According to a city council member, this man, and they show a picture of the guy, this man has thrown bricks at the window of Ver's bar four times in recent weeks. These are hate crimes against the LGBTQ community, as opposed to love crimes. You know, they're the hate, the hate ones, not the love ones. Please help us identify him. If you have any information, please contact NYPD hate crimes at this address or this number. Now, this was going a little too far with the city council member because he showed the picture. There's a little bit of a video. They found the guy. The guy is not being charged with a hate crime. Why is he not being charged with a hate crime? Because he is not a homophobe. How do we know he's not a homophobe? Because he is a gay guy. It was a gay guy doing it. And so now the story goes away. There was that shooting at the gay club in Colorado. The moment the shooting happened, obviously it's very sad whenever a shooting happens, but the moment it happened, you had this flood from the left-wing media. They said, this is a homophobic attack. This is the result of people like those over at the Daily Wire who oppose the LGBTQ agenda. This is, these are people, you have blood on your hands, all you evil conservatives. Then what happened? Turns out the shooter is a member of the LGBTQ community and the shooter identifies as non-binary. And then, and then what happened? The story completely disappeared. Completely disappeared. Okay. It was just Jesse Smollett. Jesse, this is a homophobic anti-black attack in the south side of Chicago, which is MAGA country, and there were white supremacists with nooses. Okay, this isn't totally checking out, but they still pushed the story. And then when it became clear he made the whole thing up, the story just went away. And it's important for people to recognize this. When you're reading the news, you, you have to recognize that, yes, the stories are probably not being reported accurately. So yes, they spread fake news in that way. But it, it goes even further. The only reason you are seeing certain stories is to push an agenda. Newspapers have editors, okay? The reason that these stories end up there in the first place, the reason you've heard of these stories is because they're pushing an agenda. You see this in every news story. Forget about the gay stuff or the race stuff or whatever. You see this with the war in Ukraine. Why is it that the war in Ukraine is the only war that anyone's really heard about in recent years? It's not because it's the only war going on. There are plenty of wars going on in Arabia, in Africa, in Asia. There are wars going on all over the place. You're hearing about that war because it more directly involves the United States, even though the U.S. doesn't want to admit it. And two, because the, the West feels a, 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 an interest, the United States feels a national interest in that war. And so you're seeing a ton of it. That's, that is why that is appearing to you. And it's why it's even in your own perception, okay? So it, it helps to be able to see through these sorts of things. And, and it, it, when you see shifts in power, that's especially when it becomes clear, because all of the things that, that the side that was in power have been whining on and prattling on about for months and months and years and years, all of a sudden, when they totally back away from them, you realize how hollow their claims were to begin with. I'll give you a concrete example of this. Adam Schiff and the Democrats. You've heard the Democrats talking about how there are terrible threats, existential threats to our sacred democracy. And the threats are when you question how they rig the elections. <laughs> but, but also, if you refuse to go along with certain congressional subpoenas, if we, if we mock the January 6th committee, that's a grave threat to our sacred democracy until the Republicans take charge. If you are subpoenaed, by Republicans when they take over, will you comply? Um, you know, we'll have to consider the validity of the subpoena. Uh, but uh, I would certainly view my obligation, the administration's obligation to follow the law. Um, and the fact that they have disrespected the law uh, is not a precedent I would hope that would be broadly followed. But we'll have to look at the legitimacy or lack of legitimacy of what they do. Well, it would depend on the legitimacy of the subpoena. Oh, okay. 
It would depend on the, I, I was just told six months ago <laughs> that, that if Steve Bannon or whoever, if some right winger does not go along with some completely ridiculous partisan committee, like the January 6th committee, which was all Democrats and then two fake Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who effectively are just Democrats. If, if Republicans don't go along with the Stalin show trial, that we're a, a terrible threat to our sacred democracy. But now the Republicans get a bare majority in the House. They're, you know that their committees are going to have to be bipartisan committees. They say, hey, Adam Schiff, you've been pushing a lot of this BS in, in the last six, seven years. Are you going to go along with a subpoena? You're a member of the House yourself. He says, oh, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay. On Friday, you know, we released the first two episodes of the brand new biblical series by Jordan B. Peterson. This series is called Exodus. In it, Jordan Peterson sits down with other scholars to read the book of Exodus and discuss what it means and why it remains significant thousands of years after it was written. Scholars at the table include Dennis Prager, Jonathan Pajot, and many more. There will be new episodes releasing weekly. Trust me, you do not want to miss it. Check out the trailer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Turns out that a book is more durable than, than stone. It's more durable than a castle. It's more durable than an empire. You don't get away with anything. And so you might think you can bend the fabric of reality and that you can treat people instrumentally and that you can bow to the tyrant and violate your conscience without cost. You will pay the piper. It's gonna call you out of that slavery into freedom, even if that pulls you into the desert. God is ethic-centered, not ethnic-centered. Well, do you want the Pharaoh on your side or do you want God on your side? That's kind of the question. There's a profound sense here that, that what, the, what is going on with the Israelites is the contrast to Pharaoh, right? Like under no terms will you go and the Israelites have to say, we will go under any terms. And we're going to see that there's something else going on here that is far more cosmic and deeper than what you can imagine. The highest ethical spirit to which we're beholden is presented precisely as that spirit that allies itself with the cause of freedom against tyranny. And yes, exactly. I want villains to get punished. But do you want the villains to learn before they have to pay the ultimate price? That's such a Christian question. <laughs> you must be a member to watch this. So head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member and watch Exodus today. Speaking of the fight for freedom against tyranny, Elon Musk just had a great, he just gave people a great lesson in practical politics. My friend Liz Wheeler was uh, reporting on the threat that Apple and Google Play will ban Twitter from their app stores because Elon Musk takes over Twitter. Elon is going to let all those terrible evil Nazis like Donald Trump back on the platform. And therefore, Apple and Google might boot it from the app store. So Liz said, if that happens, then Elon Musk has to build his own phone, doesn't he? The guy sends rockets to Mars. You know, he can, he can certainly build a smartphone. Elon responds and says, yep, that is what I will do. He says, I, I certainly hope it does not come to that. But yes, if there is no other choice, I will make an alternative phone. This is a really important lesson in politics. Money talks and BS walks. A lot of times when I give speeches or do a public appearance, people will ask me, these kind of young, ambitious, would-be politicos will come, come up and say, Michael, how do I get involved in politics? And they never like the answer because the answer is, if you can first, make some money. Make more money than you think you need. Make a lot of money. They say, oh, that doesn't sound fun. I want to go, you know, I just want to run for Congress or something. No, no, no. You got to you got to go in with some money. The reason that Donald Trump was able to be a bull in a china shop is because he was a self-funder. It is, again, one of the arguments for Donald Trump over certain other candidates, of, uh, his opponents this time. It's not that Trump necessarily sees everything correctly or he doesn't make mistakes or he hires the best people. or It's not any of that. But it is that Donald Trump is much less susceptible to outside influences because he's got a lot of money. That's what Elon Musk is saying, too. Okay. 
you think about all the conservatives in politics, in Congress, in the nonprofits, and they say, we need to publish a white paper on a plan, on an essay, on a new book to talk about how we need to make a smartphone to take on big tech. Or Elon Musk just comes in, he writes a check, boom, 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 here you go, here's a new phone. <laughs> we need, here's the new plan on how we're going to uh, conceptualize of a new social network to build this, or to maybe legislate around Twitter and Facebook and what Elon says. Okay, 44 billion, here we go. I own Twitter now, Trump's back on. It's much simpler. Okay, because the problem, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to using the government to, to, to rein in some of these woke corporations. I'm all for it. But the problem is the woke corporations have a ton of money and they've got a ton of lobbyists and half the time they're the ones writing the bills. So it just doesn't, it doesn't really work out. Okay. Money talks and BS walks. And this is very good news right now for Ron DeSantis because Elon Musk announced over the weekend that he is effectively endorsing Ron DeSantis in 2024. Uh, Elon Musk, said that if DeSantis chooses to run, he will support him. Good friend to have in your corner. I think you want one of the richest men in the world in your corner if you are running. And uh, Ron, Ron DeSantis, I'm sure, will welcome that money. You've seen a lot of other big money donors who have moved over to Ron DeSantis. But this is not without danger for Ron DeSantis. And it, it gets back to my central thesis on the challenge of the Ron DeSantis candidacy which is that Ron DeSantis's sales pitch is that he's the newer, better, younger, faster, smarter, more disciplined Donald Trump. Trump 2.0. Trump with all the upsides, none of the downsides. But Ron DeSantis's role in the race, in which Donald Trump himself is running, is necessarily as the anti-Trump candidate. And so Ron DeSantis is just necessarily going to attract more centrists, going to attract more anti-Trumpers, going to attack more soft liberals. Okay, and that's not DeSantis's fault. He's governed in a conservative way, but that's just a fact of his role in the race. So Elon Musk, when he's talking about endorsing DeSantis, he says, as a reminder, I was a significant supporter of the Obama-Biden presidency and reluctantly voted for Biden over Trump. But freedom of speech is the bedrock of a strong democracy and must take precedence. My preference for the 2024 presidency is someone sensible and centrist. I had hoped that would be the case for the Biden administration, but have been disappointed so far. But would you endorse DeSantis? Yes. So if you're Ron DeSantis and you're running in a primary, that's not necessarily the endorsement you want. You don't necessarily want the endorsement of a guy who says, oh, I loved Obama. Oh, yeah, I voted for Biden over Trump. Yeah, I, I want someone centrist. I don't want a conservative. That's, that, that's going to be the needle that Ron DeSantis has to thread. So right now, you're seeing a huge swing of support. I mean, virtually every conservative pundit in the country is, is endorsing Ron DeSantis at this point. I think I'm the last pundit in America, the last conservative media figure who has said, hey guys, the election's two years out. I'm not endorsing someone two years out in a primary before we have any of the actual primary fights. But the, in terms of the media, they've gone hard for DeSantis. Uh, then you're seeing this reflected in some of the polls. In Iowa right now, looks like DeSantis is up. In North Carolina, or in uh, New Hampshire, rather, looks like DeSantis is up. Florida, obviously, DeSantis is up. So you 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 could see the the party unite around around Ron DeSantis, but that's a long ways out. Okay, the the campaign has not really begun yet, and so. You're, you're, DeSantis is going to have to constantly play this balancing game. I'm more conservative than Trump. I'm to the right of Trump on the vaccines. I'm to the right of Trump on the lockdowns. But I'm more centrist and sensible than Donald Trump. So please, Elon, give me your money. Please, anti-Trumpers, come over and support me. That's going to be a tough act. If Ron DeSantis can, can do it, he will be one of the most agile politicians of his generation. It's a very, very difficult dance to dance. That's just the way that it, it goes. Those will be the challenges for the Republic in two years. We are facing lots of challenges right now. One of the biggest challenges, and no one is talking about it, is that people in America have become loners. Okay, The, the Washington Post, <laughs> stopped clock is right twice a day. The Washington Post ran a decent column with, uh, with data from the American Time Use Survey, just looking at how many hours per week Americans are spending alone. 
Americans 15 and older are spending way more time alone than they were in 2013. In 2013, you, you, you see the numbers jump about 10 hours per week up until 2021 alone. The time with friends is way down four hours per week. And the time with companions, as differentiated from friends, is down about five hours per week. Now, part of this is obviously COVID because the government told us that we couldn't go out and see our family or see our friends or go to holidays or do anything for, for two years. But COVID is over. And for sensible people, COVID was over within six months. So it doesn't quite explain how in 2021 this was still a problem and what's going on right now. The, the other issue here is that uh, because of technology, people feel like they are with other people when in fact they are not. So they'll say, well, I'm on this social network, so I, f- I sort of feel like I'm with people, but I'm not. I'm actually alone in my room. Or maybe I go on to some chat or stream or even a Zoom call, but you're, you're not really with other people. And this gets to that same issue we were talking about earlier in the show as to why the conservatives are probably going to lose on so many of these cultural issues. It's because there are two distinct visions here, okay? There's the, the John Locke vision, the liberal vision, classical liberal, new liberal, all the liberal visions, which is that man is essentially an individual. Then there is the traditional vision, the conservative vision, that man is not really ultimately an individual. Man is ultimately social, pairing, political. And the problem with that, the, that difference in visions is that both the conservatives and the liberals very often agree with the liberal vision, that we're just ultimately individuals born out of nothing, floating as atoms in the air, no obligations to anybody, just do whatever you want, define your own identity, make yourself your own God, define your own moral order, just you do you. And, and it's so corrosive, it's like acid. It just destroys every institution. Because then marriage, family, ceases to be a, uh, a network of obligations and duties that bind people together, but it becomes just a sort of nice companionship to augment your life. And then the moment that the marriage turns a little sour, you know, you start to get the seven-year itch or something, and you say, oh, this marriage is sort of bothering me now. These kids, they're sort of a hassle. Well, what do you do? You just dissolve the marriage. That's where you get skyrocketing divorce. It's where you get no-fault divorce. When, when marriage and family cease to be uh, a series of obligations and duties and normative behaviors, and it just becomes, if it feels good, do it, that's when you get the complete redefinition of marriage. To say, no, it's no longer the union of one man and one woman for the good of the spouses and the sake of the generation and education of children. No, it's just two people who like spending time together. You know, love is love or whatever. Until it's not, and then you can break up and find somebody else. It's so corrosive. When, when society ceases to be that bond of duties and obligations, then it's, it, we, we lose the sense, as even John Kennedy pointed out, of ask not what your country will do for you, but what you should do for your country. Then, then the country just becomes the place where I live, where I could make some money and feel good. And as long as, as, long as I'm making money and feeling good, okay, great. The moment I'm not, whatever, I'll go someplace else. The, the nation's borders dissolve. The nation's people dissolve. The nation's tradition, the nation's vision, the nation's animating principle. It all just dissolves, okay? And it, you don't need to go very far to see that. I, I actually prefer spending time by myself a lot. Because I just get tired, I work, I travel. You know, I kind of like to stay home a lot, read some books, have a cigar. Often I will force myself to go out. Not because I necessarily want to, but I know that it's good for me, okay? It is good for you to go out, see people. You should go to church for lots of reasons, but it's good to go to church also for community. It's good to go out to a bar every now and again to see people. It's good to go out into the public square. It's good, good to go out and see a movie. It's good, to go, it's good to go do stuff. It's good to go to the parties, okay? We've got Christmas coming up. Everyone's going to start throwing Christmas parties already because we have total advent erasure and everyone just likes to jump ahead and Mariah Carey is going to be everywhere pretty soon. Well, it's, you should go to those things, okay? Because as Americans spend more time alone, they become more miserable, they go crazier and you get lost in your own delusions. And that's why we now have a crazy delusional country. 
If the price of your Thanksgiving meal has left a bad taste in your mouth, remember, it is completely normal to keep paying more and more for the same things, right? Wrong. Well, right now, the Daily Wire Cyber Week sale is on, and everything in our shop is 40% off. That's right, 40% off. My books, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, A Comprehensive Guide. That is a number one Amazon best-selling, presidentially endorsed book. President Trump says it's a great book for your reading and enjoyment. And also Speechless, my number one national best-selling book with words. Speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. 40% off the iconic Daily Wire truth bomb and our new leftist tears dog bowl. Remember, it is free shipping on orders over 75 bucks and you get a free leftist tears tumbler with orders over $100. So unless you're one of those super fans who actually just wants to give us extra money, do not wait. Go to dailywire.com slash shop today. Get our best deals of the year on all the gifts worth giving. The reason we have to fight against the great reset agenda of just putting us all in our pods and we don't see anybody and we're just isolated, we're spending all this time alone, is that when people are broken down to this atomized individual, we're all isolated, it's much easier to control us. It's much easier to transform society. We are seeing it happen in real time. I hand you a viral TikTok video. You think it's good for kids to see all of these sexualized things like people kissing each other, girls kissing each other, guys in thongs, girls with is out, yourself. Yes, because if you don't show them this now, then they harbor who they are as they get older. They feel like they're not included in society. So you think sexualized activity should begin with them at a young age? Yes, I mean, I was watching like eight years old. And you think that's good? Yeah. Should the LGBT be inclusive of bestiality? I don't even know what that is. With animals. I mean, if that's what you want, then that's what you want. You would accept that? Yeah. Now, I know that this is just an anecdote. I know this, this is just one lady on TikTok. But the plural of anecdote is data. And you see people making these sorts of arguments all the time. And frankly, she's got a point. She goes, yeah, if we're going to, if we're going to tell people that it's cool to do all this eccentric sexual stuff when they're adults, then we got to normalize it when they're kids. They got to see that. They got to see that represented. And yeah, maybe that Maybe it seems kind of creepy like we're sexualizing kids. And yeah, maybe I'm going to advocate for bestiality and things. But, you know, okay, whatever. Love is love, right? This is happening. Conservatives are warning that, you know, by the time we get down the slippery slope, pretty soon they're going to normalize weird child sex stuff. They are doing that. That is already happening. Conservatives are so good at predicting terrible things that have already happened. (laughs) It's like pretty soon we're going to we're going to start seeing the things that already we started seeing 2 years ago. And I don't want to hear that this is some crazy conspiracy theory, okay? In the post Jeffrey Epstein world, I never want to hear about crazy conspiracy theories. Creepy Pedo Island is real. We know about Creepy Pedo Island. And we know that Creepy Pedo Island involved some of the most prominent, wealthy, powerful people on planet Earth. So I don't want to hear about it. You saw that Balenciaga ad that bizarre Balenciaga ad we covered last week, where it was little kids kind of frowning, holding up a, a like a dominatrix, like a S&M kind of clad teddy bear. And conservatives pointed out, this is really weird. And actually, one of the Balenciaga products was, was on top of a Supreme Court case about child pornography. And then what happened? There was a, an outcry. And Balenciaga pulled it down and said, we're looking into legal a recourse against the, the people who put this set together. So e- even now the liberals want to brush this under the rug, but Balenciaga itself acknowledged this is sick. This is bad. We got caught, but this is weird. What's going on with this child sex stuff? Kim Kardashian, who does a lot of work with Balenciaga, she came out, she said, this is really disturbing, but it's happening. Okay. Someone gave the okay on the set. Someone gave the okay on the photos. Someone gave the okay putting it on the website. We know, apparently American intelligence knew about Creepy Pedo Island because when uh, Jim Acosta, Acosta, Alex Acosta, (laughs) not the terrible CNN talking head, but Alex Acosta, who was up for labor secretary under Trump and he was U.S. attorney before that, he was U.S. attorney prosecuting Jeffrey Epstein. When he went after Jeffrey Epstein, in his own words, apparently he was told, no, 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 forget about Epstein, he belongs to intelligence. So we know that this is happening with the ascent of lots and lots of people. Okay, now, what, what can we do about that? This, this is, again, one of the arguments for Trump. I don't want it to seem like I'm just 
you know, shilling for Trump or something like that. I'm, I'm not. I recognize the man has lots of flaws. I recognize it's not 2016. He's a little bit older. He's going to have stronger challenges this time. I'm, I really am just keeping an open mind here. And the fact that I think I'm probably the last conservative <laughs> public figure <laughs> who hasn't totally tossed this guy under the bus makes it seem relatively like I'm more pro-Trump. And I do love the guy. I mean, he's the greatest president of my lifetime. And one of, one of the arguments, though, for him is he is perceived, rightly, I think, to be outside of the system. That there is this weird system. There's this weird political system where no matter who gets elected, we get more immigration. We get more offshoring. We get uh, more of the weird sex stuff. We get more of our sovereignty given away to international institutions. We get more of the same foreign policy. Doesn't matter, Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, it doesn't matter. Except for Trump. Trump actually did different things. He changed U.S. trade policy. He changed, at least in the early years of his administration, before he got shut down, he changed uh, immigration policy. He changed foreign policy. He gave you an actual different foreign policy than you saw from Obama, Bush, Clinton, Bush. He gave you something different, okay? And so you still get the sense that he is not he is not part of the system. Now, the same could be said for Kanye West, actually. This is why I think Trump was probably smart to take Kanye's presidential announcement somewhat seriously. Because the Kanye West campaign has certain aesthetic similarities to the, the Trump 2016 campaign. People thought it was a joke. People didn't take it seriously. He had all sorts of eccentric, some might say unsavory characters around him. He, it, uh, there, there are some similarities there. Okay, it, you were always waiting for the next tweet. People are looking up the next Kanye West tweet, just as they were looking up the next Donald Trump tweet. Now, I don't think that Kanye can assemble the Trump coalition. I just don't see how he does that. There was a path for Trump to do that in 2016, and it was basically just to be Pat Buchanan. It, it, the way to do it in, in 2016 for Trump was to be the old right kind of Pat Buchanan anti-Bushy, added on with this huge celebrity, with this huge amount of wealth. I don't know that you see that from Kanye. I think Kanye is a little trippy in some of the things he talks about. When you hear Kanye talk about his political program, it's not as basic as Trump. Build the wall, fix trade, stop the stupid wars. Kanye's is much more out there and kind of esoteric. And so I just don't, I don't really see that happening. But that is the appeal to a Trump or even a Kanye. The appeal is, wow, this system is really sick and broken, and I don't, I don't like it. I want to vote for an alternative because I feel like I'm being played. And no matter which suit I vote for with the red tie or the blue tie, we're getting effectively the same sorts of things. Okay? The argument for Trump was that Trump wasn't really a Republican that Trump had this hostile takeover with the Republican Party, and that the relationship of Trump to the Republican Party was sort of a quid pro quo. Oh, he helps us win an election. Okay, the party gives me something of an organization, but they're not the same thing. They don't really like each other, okay? Now, speaking of quid pro quos, this is a story I wanted to get to last week. Uh, uh, the uh, Biden administration is being accused of engaging in a quid pro quo with the Saudis that uh, the the Saudi government assassinated this guy, Jamal Khashoggi, who was portrayed in the West by our propaganda media as this intrepid journalist standing up, speaking truth to power. That wasn't really true. He was just a Saudi spy and a political operative. But that was the way he was presented in the West. And so there's a lot of pressure on Biden to punish Mohammed bin Salman, who's the leader of Saudi Arabia. But Biden can punish Mohammed bin Salman because we rely on Saudi Arabia right now to help fix the oil prices. And because Saudi Arabia has been a longtime ally. So what happened? The Biden administration has said we are not going to hold MBS and Saudi Arabia accountable for the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Now he's being accused of a quid pro quo. Is there any quid pro quo behind that, that, uh, that we're being nicer to them and, and they might cooperate? Uh, there's no quid pro quo. I think the, de the decision on, on uh, the immunity was uh, a strict legal decision by the lawyers about him becoming a prime minister and uh, determination uh, that was made by the lawyers. That was not done by policymakers, uh, but really just a legal one. As far as their decision to cut, you know, we, you know, you and I may disagree on that. I think that 
Uh, a two million cut announcement at the time was we, we did not believe was warranted. Uh, I think that prices were at about 88 uh, or 87 when they announced that. It went up to almost $100 and settled back down, uh, mostly because, you know, when you announce a cut at $2 million, what we all know is that $2 million is not going to be cut, and most countries are not in a position to cut uh, production and definitely not cut exports. So I think that where their deliberations are are not connected to the policymaking. So it's not absolutely not a quid pro quo, okay? This was just, we uh, we were following the law and just that's why we can't hold this guy accountable in any sort of way for killing this spy in Turkey. And, uh, and it has nothing to do with the oil and nothing to do with our longstanding relationship. What are you talking about, bro? This is so stupid and nobody believes it for a second. Of course it's a quid pro quo. All of politics is a quid pro quo. <laughs> Certainly when we're talking about international politics. That's what it is, okay? We need something from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia needs something from us. And then you negotiate and you have it. And that's it. By the way, this was another of the arguments for Trump was the art of the deal. Now, some people will say, well, he didn't get the art of the deal done quite as well as I wanted him to. And so uh, regardless of the, the reality of it, I'm just saying that was the argument is that Trump looked at politics, not as this pie in the sky, grandiose sort of liberal vision. But he said, nah, you know, look, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. Ah, look, we can negotiate here. Get off your high horse. We're just going to talk. Okay, we're going to get things done. All right. And I, I think that is how the conservatives, as we look ahead at what's going to be the longest presidential primary ever, as we look at these candidates, I think we all need to get off our high horse a little bit. I think we need to back away from the Donald Trump is a, he's a Nazi, evil, terrible, worst president, and back away from the Ron DeSantis is just an establishment shill. He's basically just Jeb Bush or whatever, and back away from all the other candidates who could run. And, and just say, look, we got some, we got some good options here. Okay. It's, it's a good, it's a good problem to have. We got some good options here who are running for president. We're going to let this thing play out. These are all big boys, and we do not put our faith in princes, okay? We are not here looking for some suit to save our country, you know, in, in a, a, the sense of, in a religious sense. I mean, we're not, that's not, we're looking for a guy to fix stuff and put the country back on track, and it's going to be an imperfect guy, but that's what we need. And so they're tough guys, they can duke it out, and then we will pick our nominee. We won't, we won't pick our nominee based on which, which person the media are least likely to call a Nazi or something. We're going to pick our nominee on a quid pro quo. Who is going to give us the best policy, the, the, lead the country in the best possible way until the next guy and we do it all over again. Now, today's Music Monday. Speaking of cultural matters, you know, I'm a hip hop total music maven. And so uh, usually we go straight to the member block here. This is where I leave all of you hoi polloi on YouTube who are too cheap to shell out a dollar for uh, the Daily Wire membership. But not today. It's Cyber Monday, all right? So we're going to leave this open right now. You should never miss another member block, okay? Click the link in the description for 50% off new memberships and gift memberships for your loved ones until 11.59 and 59 seconds tonight. And join us. Have yourself a merry Get little Davies Christmas. Get Ben Davies in here. I said it. Let your heart be I can't. I'm so filled with rage. For those of you who have, I'm taking my earpiece out. For those of you who have not tuned into the member block before, as we transition into the member block, my producer Ben Davies plays a song and this, this, that, or the other thing. But one thing he's been doing recently is he's been playing. Christmas music. And I said, you don't play Christmas music until Christmas. Because to do so, to do so before Thanksgiving is obviously ridiculous. To do so before Christmas is Advent erasure. It is not Christmas. Jesus Christ is not yet born. Well, he is born, but we don't, we're not recognizing that as part of the liturgical year yet. You wait until Christmas, and, and uh, until Christmas, you play O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And I said, when they did it again, they did it to me last week, and I said, Ben Davies, the next time you play Christmas music in that transition, you are fired from this company. Oh, I know it's the, I know it's the Advent season, and I'm supposed to cultivate a spirit of resignation, 
I'm supposed to cultivate a spirit of charity. But I, maybe we'll, we'll, maybe I'll leave it up to the members. Not to all of you hoi polloi out there who are contemplating, do I get a membership? Do I join the creme de la creme, the inner circle of the Michael Knowles show? But the members, if you think that I should grant a reprieve and a pardon to Ben Davies this time, maybe I will. Maybe. If not, off with his head. Put my earpiece back in. So furious. Oh, I'm shaking. I'm literally shaking. What was everybody saying today? Uh, let's see. O come all ye faithful, Atachi of Kanoha says. Uh, o come all ye faithful, another Advent song. That's true. Okay, that's the third option. Let's see. Unquiet Centra says, Davies knows that we like angry Knowles. I know I lose my temper like three times a year, but I'm losing it. Advent erasure is what does it to me. Okay. Zuby, Michael drew a Christmas music line and Ben Davies not only crossed that line, but demolished it. I know this is the problem is I'm going to look like Obama now if I don't fire him. Because remember Obama said, well, if, if, if uh, Bashar Assad uses certain weapons in Syria, that would be a red line. And then what happened? Bashar Assad used the weapons, crossed the red line, and Obama did nothing. So now I'm going to look like Obama if I don't fire him. Uh, you let me know. You let me know, members, if I should fire Davies over this. I'm furious. Uh, Advent, uh, you don't mess with sick Michael. I know. Well, this is the problem. I went, you can probably hear that I'm a little bit stuffy. I went up to visit my in-laws. We went up with my wife and my two children. And we saw my sister-in-law and her two children and the whole family. But little kids are just Petri dishes. They're Petri dishes filled with every sickness, variants of COVID that do not yet exist that have not been classified. And then what the kids do is they just climb all over you and like spit on you and just they're drooly and it's, yeah. Anyway, I'll try to, I'll try to get better soon. Let's see. Ben deserves a pardon, says Barrel of Monkeys. We'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, Elizabeth, good night from South Korea. Merry Christmas, everybody. Not going to wait, Michael. <laughs> you, uh, are you really in South Korea? That's very impressive. Let's see. Pardon. All right, a lot of people are saying... Pardon Ben Davies. I don't know. Now, some <laughs> room with a gun says, Michael, don't squish. You taught me that last week. Fire your producer. I might, I, maybe I should. I don't know. I'm really torn on all of this, guys. Keep pardon Davies. Okay, it's starting to trend. All right. You're being too nice to Ben Davies, so I'm going to turn away from that. I don't want to see that. There, there were also a, a couple of uh, Updates from the elections that I, I meant to get to last week and we haven't had time, but I'll give it to you, the creme de la creme, the inner circle here. So, you know, there's two, still two house races that have not yet been decided. How many days are we after the election day right now? Like three weeks after the election. Uh, but there have been some wins. Uh, my friend Lauren Boebert has won her race in Colorado. So I really like Lauren Boebert. She's a, she is a now going to be a two-term congressman. Hopefully, she'll be there a lot longer after that. But she faced this really tough battle in uh, this last election. And the media made a huge deal of it. We're going to get Lauren Boebert. They hate her guts because she's a rock-ribbed conservative. And so they were just really gunning after her. And you heard, this is going to be a huge upset. And then her opponent conceded and the, the story went away. But we, we should spike the football. You know, they, the libs, they thought they had her. They were so excited that the whole thing went away when she won. But uh, I think we should, uh, we should give her a round of applause because that was good. They really went after this woman with everything they had, and she beat them, which I love. Okay, let's get to the song. So the song is Let You Down. The artist is NF, who I've never heard of, uh, has 8.6 million subscribers. Oh my gosh. The video has... 225 million views. This was released five years ago. Okay. So NF is an American. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Or is it pronounced oomph? It's NF. Okay. It's not oomph, oomph, oomph. Uh, is an American rapper, singer, songwriter, record producer. He achieved mainstream popularity in 2017 with his album Perception, which charted at number one in the U.S. and was certified platinum. Wow. Man, I'm so out of the culture. I am so, the other day, a Sugar Ray song came on in the airport. Remember Sugar Ray? Like, I just want to fly. And I thought in my head, I was like, wow, this is, you know, I kind of like modern music. This song's 30 years old. It's just like, oh, wow, yeah, man, I'm hip. I'm cool. How do you do, fellow kids? All right, let's play the song. <laughs> I don't 
You know, and <laughs> I paradoxically that actually sort of mitigates my fury at Ben Davies because you really got me. Is that the new Rick Roll? I think the new the new Rick Roll is is uh, just going to be that stupid Mariah Carey song <laughs> that people start playing in August, and then that goes through. Wow, really good. I, I listen. I'm. I know this is a controversial opinion. This is probably going to be much more controversial than anything I've said today about Donald Trump or Kanye West or anything like that. I kind of like the Mariah Carey song. I, I kind of like it. It's happy. It's bubbly. It's pop. What's wrong? Let's see. Off with it. Uh, well played, Ben, says Abby. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty funny. Well played. That's good. That's good. Look. Ben Davies says we still have a real song. Do we, we actually do have the other song? <laughs> All right, let's get to the other song. Have I heard this song? Yeah. I guess I'm a disappointment. Doing everything I can, I don't wanna make you disappointed. It's annoying. I just wanna make you feel like everything I ever do is never trying to make an issue for you. But I guess the more you this thought about everything, you never even wrong in the first place, right? Yeah, I'ma just ignore you, walking towards you. With my head down, looking at the ground, I'm embarrassed for you. Paranoia. What did I do wrong this time? That's parents for you. Very loyal. Should I have my back? Could you put a knife in my hands for? What else should I carry for you? I care as for you, but right now. Wish that I could say I'm proud. I'm sorry that I let you down. Huh. Let, let, let you down. All these voices in my head get loud. I wish that I could shut them down. Hmm. I'm sorry that I let you down. Let, let, let you down. Take a pause right there. It's actually a sort of fitting song for the holidays because. You know, when you're a kid, the holidays are so great, especially Christmas. You wake up, you know, the presents, it's all just perfect. And uh, But then as you get older, people start to get sad around the holidays because people are dead and, you know, you're no longer a child anymore. And so it just becomes much, much harder. And, you know, I don't know, your uh, cousin, your sibling got divorced and, you know, this person went away and whatever, all this. It just becomes... Uh, uh, more haunting, you know, and, and people are looking back and they're saying, oh, if only I'd said this, if only we had done this, if only, look how much smaller the table is this year. Look at, oh, it's so sad. And so for, for a lot of people, you know, this probably does resonate. So, so far the song seems a little bit indulgent to me about daddy issues and all this sort of thing, but let's say, keep going. Yeah. You don't want to make this work. You just want to make this worse. Want me to listen to you, but you don't ever hear my words. You don't want to know my hurt yet. Let me guess. You want an apology, probably. How can we keep going at a rate like this? We can't, so I guess I'm going to have to leave. Please don't come after me. I just want to be alone right now. I don't really want to think it all. Go ahead, just drink it all. Both know you're going to call them all like nothing's wrong. Ain't that what you always do? I feel like every time I talk to you, you're going to offer more. What else can I offer you? There's nothing left right now. I give it all to you. on the edge right now. I wish that I could say I'm proud. I'm sorry that I let you down. Let you yeah, don't talk down to me. That's not gonna work now. Packed all my clothes and I moved out. I don't even wanna go to your house. Every time I sit on that couch, I feel like you lecture me. Eventually, I bet that we could have made this work and probably would have figured things out. But I guess I'm a letdown. But it's cool, I checked out. Oh, you wanna be friends now? Okay, let's put my fake face on and pretend now. Sit around and talk about the good times. That didn't even happen. I mean, why are you laughing? Must have missed that joke. Let me see if I can find a reaction. No, but at least you're happy. It's like we're on the edge right that's a really cutting line where you say, okay, yeah, we had this terrible history together, but now you want to sit and laugh about the good times that didn't even happen. And that's so true. People forget this. And, and I think it is sort of a cure to Christmas time melancholy. 
which is that nostalgia is history after a few drinks, okay? The good old days were not as good as you remember them, okay? And the present is not as bad as you might perceive it to be. And who knows about the future? The future does not exist yet. So uh, that, that it, it, another reminder, it actually ties in with what we were talking about on the show today, is that we have obligations to our family, and we don't really perceive this anymore. This is why you see the decline in people visiting their family for Thanksgiving. You see the, an increase in Friendsgiving. You ever hear that phrase? Oh, I'm just, we're just having Friendsgiving this year, and you don't see your family, but you just see the people that you already like. And as though this were some novel you know, sort of innovation. Wow, we've progressed so much. We've discovered that we enjoy spending time with our chosen companions more than with our families with whom we have some problems. Yeah, no way. You don't say, buddy. Of course, that's been true for all of history for everybody. But nevertheless, nevertheless, you have an obligation in virtually all circumstances. I guess there are some exceptions, obviously. But you have an obligation to see your family. You will regret it if you don't. Even though you don't like your sister, and even though, you know, you've got some beef with your dad or whatever, go. Do it. You are not an island unto yourself. You, and you will derive far greater meaning and, and joy, even, I suspect, from the fulfillment of your natural obligations to honor your father and your mother than you will from indulging some individual pleasure, you know, to sit at home and watch a movie instead of going to grandma's house for Christmas Eve. Keep going. that well enough, you know? A little sappy, a little indulgent, as is most modern music, but I liked it. What did the audience think? Tra-la-la. Oh, it looks like the comments froze up. They froze. There are probably too many people here checking it out, heading on over to the member block. Let's see. Did we? Oh, Arun says, hey, my meeting was canceled. Hey, Arun, what's up? Back. Arun, one of the you know, real stars of the Michael Knowles show, member group. Uh, did we find out how to pronounce NF? Yeah, I'm going to continue to say oomph. That's kind of cool. Oomph, oomph. Flying Mayan says, I like the Mariah Carey song too. I do not apologize for saying it, nor do I. Nor do I. I'd listen to Mariah Carey all day over The Little Drummer Boy. I, I cannot agree with that, Becca. There's a great version of The Little Drummer Boy where Bing Crosby was already kind of old and David Bowie, for some reason, is singing it. And it's the two of them there. And it's just really weird and bizarre and uh, fabulous. Recommend that. Love the song, Michael. Did you get a cold? Yeah, I think I have the Alpha, Sigma, Omega, Lambda, Kappa, Epsilon variant of COVID. That's the one where you just permanently have COVID. And it's especially true if you have two children under the age of two. You just permanently have it. And so I think I need to smoke some more cigars. Just blast that smoke through my congestion. Let's see. Uh, Dernhelm of Rohan says, Michael, no, it's an overplayed, cheesy, not well-written, sappy, stupid romance song that bills itself as Christmas. That is true of most modern Christmas celebrations, okay? So if you're going to get rid of that, you're going to get rid of uh, most of what goes on in the public square. Okay, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. We'll see you tomorrow. 